My name is Chris Blitzarves and welcome to the Chase Your Greatness podcast. Today's guest is physiotherapist Mike Snelling. Now Mike's experience spans over 30 years and ranges from a number of different sports. He's worked in professional soccer with Fulham Football Club, with the English national rugby teams and in the NBA with the Milwaukee Bucks. He's also spent time within the AFL system, both with the league and the Geelong Cats. I love today's conversation. We look at Mike's background, how he developed his career over the years, his time in elite sport, and the lessons he's learned that's developed him into the master of physiotherapy that he is today. Along with that, we take a deep dive into all things resiliency, relationships, and culture, and what makes professional athletes tick. An incredibly valuable part of this conversation was hearing how Mike got to know some of the most well-known athletes in the world and how he was able to help them reach their greatness. For all the parents out there, we take a good look into junior sport, the benefits and the flaws that come along with it and how important trust is when finding the right people to take care of your kids. As someone that has worked right alongside some of the world's most elite athletes over the years, it's incredibly valuable to hear what is required to make it to the top level and what is required to stay there. An absolute masterclass on all things sport from the junior level right through to the top tier. This conversation has got gems everywhere. As always, if you're looking to pick up a copy of our Chase Your Greatness journal, jump on Amazon, pop in Chase Your Greatness into the search bar, order yours today and get chasing. Along with that, if you're enjoying what you're hearing, please feel free to share it to a friend, put it up on social media, give it a rating, give it a review. Every little bit helps us to get these incredible conversations out into the ears of people who need them. And with that, I encourage you to get your notepads out. Here is my conversation with Mike Snelling. Let's get stuck in. Um, Snells, thanks for sitting down with me this Arvo, mate. I appreciate it. You're welcome. It's good to be here. How's, uh, how's the Wednesday? Yeah, it was good. Good morning. Started at the school. Um, came into work. Uh, I haven't, I've only had one client today. I don't really work on Wednesday afternoons. It's a paperwork day. Try and catch up on a few things. Cancelled a couple of appointments to do this, but that's okay. Appreciate that. Yeah. Appreciate that. Um, yeah, we did first cross paths. Um, through school and it's uh it's been a a cool experience actually kind of getting to pick your brains pretty regularly um it's nice being able to sit down with you and um (laughs) not have to pick your brains about my own niggles anymore (laughs) which is good that happens occasionally happens occasionally yeah um especially when you undertake some serious athletic events like half Ironman and all that sort of stuff. It's usually, it, the worst thing is it's usually off minimal training too. Like, That's because you just love challenges. Yeah. <laughs> the, the 50K, no, the walk from North Geelong to the Yu Yangs and then back to South Geelong wasn't real. I don't think I handled that one real well. Um, that started <laughs> then trying to train for a marathon on top of that and then... Yeah, that was. I reckon that was the first real kind of niggle I saw you for. It was like, make my feet hurt. It's like, well, what have you done? Yeah, <laughs> Rattling exactly. off, oh, I did this and this. And it's like, well, no wonder your feet hurt. And I've only, I've only worked it out probably this year that you just like challenging yourself. You like pushing yourself. You like trying to find your boundary, mm. which is, which is cool. There's, there's nothing wrong with that. It's just that 
you have to put some work in beforehand to make sure that you don't push yourself over the edge. Otherwise, then ultimately you don't achieve what you want to achieve. Mm. Do you? you just deal with the consequences later. Exactly. Um, now, we've kind of touched on your background a little bit, just you and I, and, and you know, as we going through all these school tours and open nights and that sort of stuff. It's like, yeah. oh yeah, you know, Mike Mike works with this and this is what he's done. But yeah. I don't actually know specifically what you've done. Like I've kind of got some a rough idea in terms of teams. Yeah, yeah. But but just sort of give us a bit of an insight into your background a little bit for me, please. Yeah, I will. Um actually I just um spoke to someone the other day about this because I think it's a pretty interesting story that doesn't really occur these days. Um when I finished school um i i wanted to achieve three main things in life and i haven't achieved any of them <laughs> um one of them I, I initially was going to try and pursue law um obviously i haven't gone down that path i wanted to play uh high league high level afl football i didn't get it i i played a decent level at juniors but but actually gave it up and then um and i wanted to be a drummer in a band and i haven't <laughs> Haven't done that either. <laughs> but so what I ended up doing is I ended up left, left school and, and studied sports science. I had a love of sport. I actually did a week of accounting first and then um, got accepted into a sports science program. And it was probably about only the second year that sports science was really running in the country. Um, so I started that and then and, and finished that. And then uh, there weren't too many jobs available back then. Um, and so then the natural thing from there was really to go on to do physio, which I, which I loved. Um, and I wouldn't change anything that I've done through, through my career. But it all started from sports science. I had a couple of lecturers and it goes back to, I suppose, the, the moment everything changed. October 1990 was when the Adelaide Crows came into the, the AFL. And like every young kid, you know, at that stage, what was I, 22 years of age, um, I'm watching TV and seeing this new team form and of course their first training session was across the road from where I lived in Adelaide and I, I went for a run that night and um, I thought oh the Crows are probably training so I dropped into Football Park and uh, it was open there was probably about 300 people just at the stadium and I thought I'll, I'll watch what they're doing and walked in and then sure enough I see a, one of my lecturers sitting in the stands just watching so went over and sat next to her and she said what are you doing I said I've just been for a run and she says oh yeah you run a bit and I said yeah I do a little bit and she said Trevor Trevor Jakes was the fitness coach for the Crows he worked with Graham Corns who was the inaugural coach of the Crows and um, she said to me she said oh Trevor's looking for a for a runner for a hare they called it back in those days and of course back in those days AFL footballers used to go for 5k runs, 10k runs, all this sort mm. of aerobic stuff. and There wasn't a heap of sports science floating around there. <laughs> they, they're not doing that nowadays. Um, and so anyway, uh, Nancy Whittingham was, was the, the lecturer of mine and, and she yelled out to Trevor and Trevor came over to the boundary and, hi Mike, how are you going? I said, yeah, good. He says, um, he said, good to see you got your gear on. Nancy says, you wouldn't mind running? I said, I'll go for a run. I've just been for a run. He said, jump the fence, let's... I, wanted, I want you to take the boys for a run. And I was like, oh my God, this is a bit crazy. Anyway, and I did, and not talking my running ability up, but the footballers back in those days, they only really trained Tuesday night, Thursday night, played Saturday, all had jobs. It was, you know, very semi-professional. 
So, and they weren't great aerobic runners. They were great footballers. And um, anyway, I went for a run, took them for a run, and it was pretty easy, to be, to be fair. And from there, I got a job. From day one of the Crows, I got a job as basically the hair, which turned into being an assistant fitness coach, which meant I would take all injured players for rehab and just go in the gym and, and do certain things. Now, it was an unbelievable job for me. It was really good and really thankful that I, that I did that. Had a great few years. I was studying physio while I was doing it. So it set the path for, for me in sport. And I always did physio thinking I wanted to pursue sport. And... So that really helped me a lot and then finished physio, um, worked in practice and got a job in, in netball. So I covered a bit of netball, state league netball. We had a pretty successful team and then went to national league netball with a team that wasn't so successful that are now defunct to the Adelaide Ravens. Um, and then as it happened, um, I, I did, a, did a master's in, in physio and then wanted to pursue sport and um, ended up I got, I got married and my wife then said um, who's, who's a physio and she said to me well if you want to pursue sport there's there's a 12 month job at that AIS going anyway I interviewed for the for the job and came second in, in that and asked um, Craig Purdom who interviewed me I said, you know, what what was the story with that? And he said, um, he said, look, Mike, you, you're good, but you don't have international experience. I said, oh, fair enough. Um, so I looked at going overseas, and my wife came home one day, and she said, right, we're off, we're going overseas. I said, you're kidding me? How? Where? Where? What are we doing? She said, we're going to to the UK. Um, my grandfather was English, so we had an ancestry visa, and we went to the UK. We just had a real rapid turnaround, and just. Uh, tried my luck really I, I knew a few few people over there and then as it turned out cut a long story short ended up working in cricket for a little bit which I loved with Surrey County Cricket um, for a season which was really good then worked in and my main aim was to try and work in soccer worked in um, the EPL for one year with with Fulham Fulham Football Club which probably wasn't as as ideal as I thought it would be and so then, uh, then just by chance, I ended up getting a job in, in rugby and um, a doctor at Fulham, Simon Kemp, um, was instrumental in, in guiding me. He's, and I said, oh, you're looking for... He, he left Fulham and he went to England rugby and I said, you're looking for a physio. Do you think I should apply for that? He said, you haven't got rugby experience. So probably not, but there is a job going with the Sevens team. And even at that point, I didn't really even know what Sevens was, to be honest. And... Um, so I applied for that, sat down, had an interview, got on really well with the coach, Joe Lydon, and lo and behold, then got a job in rugby. And you know what? It was one of the best jobs I've ever had. Mm. Um, worked in, in England rugby sevens for five seasons, transferred into the senior team, um, and did that for, for a, just over a, one season. Um, and then, then got a call from Geelong, and came that's made me move to Geelong and worked in AFL uh, with Geelong from that point uh, for five years and then and then had a stint in in the NBA with Milwaukee Bucks so been really lucky that I've traveled around UK US had some amazing jobs different sports which I've really loved um, and uh, you know rather than be 
some people love just one sport because that's their passion and they, and they just go down that path which is which is good um i loved just the variety of of different sports and um and i've had i've had a great run enjoyed every moment of it now just doing a little bit of work at the school with with you guys in the high performance program with um with the four sports at western heights which is great and also under 18 in football just i sort of filter in and out and and help out the afl with with a couple of teams there cool yeah there's um there's a little bit to unpack in all that like (laughs) a few few different little things popped into my head um going over to england just on a whim Mm. nothing set in stone before you guys took off nothing so how did you how did you and kate feel when you stepped off the plane and you're like all right let's go uh yeah it was interesting nothing set in stone but i I did have um a good friend of mine physio who i worked with in private practice and and he started doing his masters with us um i sort of followed him he had been over in the uk for a couple of years and he he was working in cricket and and in a practice and it's just some contacts so you just run with a few contacts but we we did leave we left no one really supported our move, um, including mum and dad. Um, you know, we went from renting a house in Adelaide for something like, I don't know, I think it was less than $200 a week and mm. moved over to the UK in 2001. And our first rental property was this little shoebox for £300 a week, which equated <laughs> to $900. And dad said, you're kidding me. What the hell are you doing that for? Yeah. And we just sort of said, because we question. can. Yeah, yeah. And we didn't have any kids. We... So we just, we thought we'd just go. Mm. Um, and you know what, we went as backpackers and eight years later we came home with, with two kids. Um, but we enjoyed every moment in the UK. We loved it. It just, mm. it's probably, you know, with bringing up kids, we think it was easier to bring up the kids here in Australia with a different lifestyle that they have. Um, you know, one's not right or wrong. Um, Australia's more isolated than the UK. UK can sort of almost be the centre of the world in that you can travel and, and, and experience different cultures really close mm. um, and you can expose your kids to that as, as well as you. Mm. Uh, whereas in Australia, well, it, it was harder then. It's probably, well, travel, it's still, it's still tricky now. Easier. Like yeah. I, I went to, I was fortunate enough to go to, to Egypt um, at the back end of last year and it was like we got over there and because we were playing in a, in a basketball tournament and um like in a three-on-three tournament and like there was oh it would have been 20 odd countries there and we're just going around you know chatting to them all and that kind of thing and you know the, the when you're making small talk with all these people that you just meet it's like oh you know like where are you guys from it's like oh how long did that take to get here and like, yeah. oh yeah you know three hours three hour flight oh you know we caught a bus <laughs> Yeah. Sick. Yeah. Like, what about what about you? Oh, you know, twenty five hours and, and two stopovers, and <laughs> exactly. so yeah. It's, it's, whilst it is, you know, I guess the the international travel side of things is easier. It's still twenty five hours on a plane Correct. to actually get in a, and immerse yourselves in these cultures. But how good is that? That's what sport. That's what I love about sport is it brings people together from different cultures mm. that you can experience that as an Australian. If you, if you weren't in sport, how can you you experience that? You've you've got to got to save up the money travel um decide where to go where sport almost gives you that avenue guides you down that path and then bang it opens your world and you can meet all these different people from different cultures which mm. 
I love. I reckon it's brilliant. It's cool because it's a it's a definite um, pathway or a, like you said, a passage to actually meet all of these people. But more often than not, you get to meet them all at once. Yeah. So it's just like a yeah. It's just you, you almost get overwhelmed with like just the different cultures and languages and having to try and speak in definitely like because we're in like speaking english and as much as i'd love to learn another language like i haven't gotten around to it yet so i'm like i hope you've got this and not only that but then you've got to pick a pick apart the australian twang which Mm -hmm. you don't realize how until you're overseas and around other people that are speaking in well and those that are speaking in english have got different accents you don't realize how bogan we actually sound (laughs) Like when you hear an Aussie accent, I heard heard myself speak, and I'm like, "Oh my god, do I seriously sound like that?" And then I'm like, "Well, yeah, you do. Yeah, yeah, it's okay." But that's another thing of the isolation of Australia. You say, "I'd love to learn another language too," Mm. and I never have. It's I, I well, personally, I think it's harder to to learn in Australia. Um, Sure, we do. We are multicultural. We do have people from overseas speaking other languages. But I don't know when you when you say in you in you're in the uk you're an hour away from france it you see and meet french people more often and so you could immerse yourself in mm. a french culture far more easily and then learn french or mm. spanish or german or italian yeah, yeah, yeah. or whatever you mm. know and you see these, they see these these people from these countries that are kind of almost landlocked by a bunch of other different languages correct they they're fluent in, yeah. you know two or three or four or five or six different languages and yeah. it's like man that'd be so cool and yeah. you're like well that you know it's understandable because you've, you've got to learn that skill because you're around that all the time spot on whereas spot on. we're not you know we yeah. learn it what football yeah <laughs> that's it yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> like that's, that's uniquely australian i guess yeah um another part i kind of picked up in that last little bit you said fulham wasn't wasn't the most ideal experience why is that yeah um I suppose my expectations were back in those days that I was younger and I thought there's so much money involved in the sport of soccer. Because it's top tier EPL too, wasn't it? It was, yeah. And then they they dropped out of the league and and then went back up. And to give you an example, back in those days, like I think the big transfer that I heard was um, Zinedine Zidane who transferred for 42 million pounds. And I'm thinking, gee whiz, that's 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 a lot of money. And I thought, well, this sport must have so much finance that, that it must be really progressive. And unfortunately, my experience was that it wasn't. Um, and their training methodologies, um, I just didn't think that their culture at the time was, was that good. Their approach to, to injuries and injury rehabilitation, I didn't think was that good. Um, I'm not sure that that was across the board in the EPL. I think there would have been some clubs that uh, that would have been good and and you know that that sport some clubs do it better than others um and so i suppose my experience just wasn't wasn't that positive and i was i was young enthusiastic really wanted to progress my career um wanted to learn as much as i could i was a real sponge and i just didn't think i, I got that um and then in contrast you know within months then i i, I got a job with with rugby union um, with the the rugby football union in England, and oh, the people were amazing. Um, it was really easy to learn. Uh, there wasn't as much money in the in the sport, and 
sometimes I think my experience in sport, the sports that have the most money, unfortunately sometimes money ruins it a little bit. Um, sometimes I think the tail might wag the dog in the sense that the, the athlete earns such great money that they just sort of then, not that they don't care, but um, they're like, oh, well, I'm, I've got a great contract. I'm, I'm fine. Um, I've got my life set up and... Um, do I really need to to cross my, my T's, dot my I's and mm. do the one percenters in my rehab? And mm. you know, probably not. So I'll just float along. Um, whereas, not that other sports are battling, but some of the other sports where um, where you've got to really work hard to, to get anywhere, uh, they they're really focused individuals. It doesn't mean that in the sports with all the money that you don't have focused individuals. In every sport, you have focused individuals. Um, you know, in, in the NBA, there, there's Giannis, for example, was one of the most focused athletes you'll ever meet. Um, and and I don't think the point also there, I reckon, that's pretty important to make is they're not. I don't find those successful individuals selfish I don't think I don't really think you have to be selfish to be good at, at, at the top level I think you have to be focused um, and I certainly wouldn't want you to be selfish in a team sport um, you can be focused focused on your abilities focused on improving every day focused on getting better but not necessarily selfish and certainly in a team sport you can't be selfish if you're mm. selfish in a team sport it won't happen mm. um, and well, you may achieve a certain level, but success and team sport success, I think team sport success comes when you're all working as a team, working together to achieve the ultimate goal. Mm -hmm. um, so therefore, you, you're not really selfish as such. Um, yeah, it probably gets confused, doesn't it? I think, mm. you know, there's, there's people say, oh, you've got to be selfish, or they've got to be selfish athletes. And it's like, well, like there's an element of sacrifice I think Correct. that you've got to make which would to people outside the circle would come across as being selfish and it's like oh he's just doing it for himself oh he's putting in the work and it's like well it's not necessarily it I mean you're going to have to sacrifice like I sat down with um, you know uh, with Ryan Brockoff a few weeks back um, to do a podcast on here and he was talking about all the stuff that you've got to check like all the boxes that you've got to yeah. check if you actually want to be a pro athlete like yep. he was going do you want to live overseas away from family you're going to miss birthdays miss you know births of nieces and nephews and sometimes your own children like all these things that you're going to have to miss where from the athlete's point of view you look at it and it's like well this is what I need to do to succeed and you've got an ultimate goal and why you want to succeed yeah and you're not taking any of you know you're not taking any wing anything away from the team's performance hopefully like if you're and obviously it's i mean you and i've had conversations about where basketball's going as a as a whole yeah. now and it's it's worrying that I, I feel it's drifting down the more individual sport pathway where it, it shouldn't be but that's a that's a whole nother podcast yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. but like i think from the athlete's perspective it's not selfish like it's being focused and Absolutely. actually but from people that don't quite understand it or from the outside looking in it would come across as selfish yeah so yep. it is it's that. a funny one it's, and it's you know you can kind of understand why it gets confused so easily yeah yeah and you know um you can be you can be married so you've got a partner in life um 
and yes you might have to sacrifice some things but you're not necessarily selfish because you've still got a partner so you've still got to satisfy one another to to stay together Mm. um ultimately if you if you if you're not working together in anything in a marriage as a partnership in a business as a partnership in a team as a sport um it breaks apart Mm. and it doesn't work so Mm. um maybe you could apply it to an individual sport maybe if you're a 100 meter sprinter or something you might be able to say they're selfish but again i wouldn't even say that they're focused Mm. they're focused on what they need to do um, and it's the same in business. If, if successful entrepreneurs, they're focused on what they need to do. Mm. Um, they're not necessarily selfish. I reckon we throw the word selfish in a little bit too um, too easily and too readily. Um, and, and conversely, a, a good culture, we, I know we were going to talk about culture, is about um, certainly in team sports is to be selfless and, and to... And I like to, you know, my kids play sport and I like to say to them, you know, you're obviously out there to improve yourself um, and and you should be improving as much as you can, but you're also out there to improve. If you're playing a team sport, how can you improve someone else? How can you help your teammate get better? Because mm. ultimately, if you help your teammate get it better, which helps the team get better, then you get better as well anyway, you know? <laughs> yeah, and, and that's the thing. Like, I feel like that's the part that, that people are starting to ignore a little bit like you know you in a team sport you are only as good as the collective right like if if the collective performs awesome you know and you can go out and say from basketball you can go out and have 30 35 40 you lose by 10 they're not going to say you had 40 points they're going to say your team lost by 10 yeah correct you could go out you know nba championship game like look at lebron's last game just happened right yep. nuggets yep. swept him in the western conference finals he he's, i think he falls like one assist shy of like a 35 point triple double or whatever <laughs> yep. it was yep played his ass off like put everything he could in there no one's saying that oh geez lebron was was great was yeah amazing. that comes up in conversation but the conversation doesn't start there the conversation said the legs got swept in four games like and what's lebron going to be known for he's going to be known for all the championships that he won yeah, exactly. Not for the last game that he nearly scored a triple double. Yeah, and correct. Got swept four 0 Correct. <laughs> uh, to be fair, he's probably got the scoring record as well, which yeah. is highly individual. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but yeah. yeah, like you're going to come up as like, well, how many rings has he got? And yeah. that's when his team performed and his team won as a collective. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. So it's a little bit about legacies. Um, I I wanted to share. I had a great story at, at the Bucks. We had. Um, uh, very fortunate that they often get some guest speakers in and we had a guest speaker come and talk to the group and his name was Ronnie Lott and he used to play for the San Francisco 49ers and I just remember one thing that he, he asked the group he said what do you want your legacy to be and um, and interestingly he ended up saying the point he made across is he said it's about what, not what your kids or what you do for your kids, but what you're going to do for your grandkids. Um, so he was trying to push it across a couple of generations. And he said, think about your legacy with regards to your grandkids. If you can do something um, that will help your grandkids, that's a huge legacy. That's a really good legacy. And um, so you could adapt that any way, any way you want. Think about it any way you want, you know. Um, it's... it's it's 
if we talk about LeBron, I mean, that's different. That's, um, mm. you know, his, oh, his legacy. legacy was cemented 15 years ago. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but it's about all the other players that maybe his teammates, you know, what they should be trying to do, what, how are they going to leave the game or leave their sport and be remembered. Um, and then it's about, you know, you're being remembered by your teammates, how you want to be remembered by your teammates. And ultimately... All of us probably want to be remembered really fondly by our teammates, and um, and you'll be remembered fondly if you're part of a team. If mm. you're a selfish individual, you won't be remembered fondly. Mm. Well, we all want to be liked. Like we, we say what we we say whatever we say, right? But it's fundamental human nature to want to fit in socially. Like so, we all want to have that feeling of belonging and feeling of acceptance and like we're social. You can beings. you can yeah. People can say oh, I don't give a shit about what other people think. Right, but deep down, you, you do. Yeah, correct. Like, and you, you might not show it and you might not pay too much attention to it, but you'll pay a little bit of attention to it because you, you need that. You need that feeling of acceptance and just from a mental health perspective, like you need correct. people around you. So yeah, yeah. yeah I, I would be surprised if that piece of advice that Ronnie gave everybody didn't sink in and didn't yeah. hit them differently. Yeah, yeah. Well, it certainly did with me. It was great. Mm. Never think of it in, along those lines, but... How did you find your way in the NBA? Because we kind of we kind of glossed over that. Like it rolled in as like, oh, you went from England, then came, you know, two kids, came back to Geelong, little stint there. Uh, then, you know, just drifted into the Milwaukee Bucks. I'm like, there's surely got to be a little bit of a story in between <laughs> yeah, no. Geelong and the Milwaukee Bucks. So um, my wife had always wanted to set up a business and, uh, and after finishing up at Geelong, um, it was a great opportunity to open a business. And so we did. Um, if you had told me that that's where I would have ended up, I would have laughed. I, I didn't really see myself going down that path. I wanted to remain in sport. But we did open the business for a year and, and I actually quite enjoyed it. Um, and every every door opens, I think, because of contacts that you work with. So um, whilst I was at Geelong, a strength and conditioning coach came from Queensland, um, Suki Hobson, uh, and I worked with Suki there. She was fantastic. She then uh, she moved around a little bit, and then she had previously, and she was originally she's originally from the UK, and she had previously applied for a job in the US uh, with the US ski team. The US ski team was was um, the head of performance was Troy Flanagan, who's an Australian uh, fantastic manager, um, one of the best guys I'd, I'd worked under. And he he was head of the performance of the US ski team. Uh, a uh, board member of the US ski team had just then bought the Milwaukee Bucks. He was an entrepreneur, successful businessman, obviously. Um, he then approached Troy to go in, go to the Bucks, and he wanted to set up a sort of an Australian sports medicine type. Um, uh, set up because he believed that that method that, that set up was really good it worked for the US ski team they had great results so then Troy went about trying to put together a, a team he remembered Suki from a previous application and uh, so he employed Suki and then Suki says oh well you know do you want to speak to Troy and I, I look I actually approached my wife Kate and said you know what do you think and she, she was like oh yeah go just you can talk to them thinking Nothing of it. Nothing's going to happen here. Because you came back from England and, like, obviously you you had the two little ones. How old were they at the time Uh, when you moved back? So the boys were 
uh, two and five. Right, so young family as well. Yeah. And, you know, spent five years kind of planting yourself in Geelong and Correct. no doubt thinking, like, all right, cool, we're settled, you know, checks Correct. and boxes and that kind of thing. Correct. And then, so, so, so then in 2015, so the boys were, um, yeah, 12, 12 and eight, 12 and nine, and um, still young enough, I thought, to, to, to move, but uh, didn't really expect anything to happen um, with, with the NBA. And um, sure enough, it, look, I spoke to Troy, I thought the setup was amazing. Um, and they, they did great things. That was a really, really good, good place to work. Uh, we had an amazing group of people to work with, uh, both staff and, and athletes, really fond memories, great people, loved it to bits. And Troy actually said, look, within five years, we, we're gonna try and play for a championship. And I thought, well, everyone sort of says that, but I actually got a feeling that yes, they would. And ultimately they won six years, I think, after he, he'd said this. So, so you know, they did have success. Um, unfortunate not to be there during their successful period, but, um, but family brought me home. Uh, business brought brought us home. Um, unfortunately, my dad was was ill, so we wanted to come home and spend spend the last couple of years with dad. And uh, and then once you once you come home and your kids are at a certain age, sort of late in secondary school, I don't think we just didn't want to move. We wanted to mm-hmm. remain stable. But you know, all of our moves, kids have been resilient. And I suppose if you'd ask them, have they enjoyed it? Yeah, I think they have. Um, I oh, I mean, were they, were they basketball fans? Yeah, yeah. So that <laughs> yeah, that would have helped. <laughs> that helped. It was like, like, oh yeah, you know, I picked up them. a job at an NBA team. Like, <laughs> what? Yeah. Well, funnily enough, at that time, as I said, the kids were only 12, 12 and eight, and yeah, they would have beaten you to the plane. <laughs> and I said Milwaukee Bucks, and they both went, "Who?" <laughs> so at that <laughs> the cellar dwellers the in the Eastern Conference. <laughs> yeah, they were. They were hoping maybe Lakers or yeah, or couldn't have got a Miami. job with the Miami <laughs> Miami Heat or the Lakers. Come on. Exactly. <laughs> but um, yeah, they loved it, and it was a great experience. It was a good experience for everyone. That's awesome. Yeah. How was you touched on resilience then? Like, I mean, it's almost like a buzzword that gets thrown around nowadays. Yeah. But um, in terms of your, well, your profession probably lends you to sort of seeing those who have resilience and, and who don't. Um, you know, how was? I mean, you can you can answer this, in, I guess, in two parts. When you, you brought up your kids and, and moving around and that kind of thing, you would have had a first-hand experience in witnessing that. But I guess resilience nowadays and... Well, let's just focus on, you know, under-18s, like, like teenagers and junior athletes and mm. kids in general, I guess. Mm. Um, what are the, I guess, changes that you've seen over the time? Well, what made your kids resilient in the first place during the moves, you reckon? She whiz. That's a great question. What made them resilient? I think I think just having to adapt makes them resilient. They they were they weren't really given much choice in in that. They were they were young. Um, when I say they weren't given much choice, interestingly, you know, at as twelve and eight, when when the opportunity came to go overseas to the Bucks, we actually sat down as a family around the kitchen table and we got our twelve year old and eight year old sons to write down the pros and cons of leaving Geelong, going to the US, um, and leaving their friends, trying to make new friends, uh, and all of those things. So we explained a little bit to them, but we wanted them to write it down, and we, we didn't discuss it any further. And then as a family, we discussed it. 
um, because we we didn't want to make a decision that we thought would influence them negatively. Um, so we included them in the decision, and it was it was overwhelming. It, it came up um, that yes, we'd go, and I will say we we did the same thing a little bit prior to that. I had an opportunity to to, to go overseas to Europe um, with a team uh, in in rugby and. We just we everyone there was too many cons so we we didn't take it um, so they were included in that and I think prior to that the moves they it wasn't their decision and and ultimately even the move to the US wasn't their decision but they had a say in it so they didn't have much choice and they had to adapt and I think that helped their resilience um, it certainly wasn't easy um, and for our eldest he went to a school at a time when all the peer group had been established as a 12 year old most of the peer groups were already established so he found it hard to to get in and you know he was he was good at basketball and he made, he made the first team at basketball in Milwaukee and we were like oh this is great in his year this will help him make friends well actually it it probably pushed one kid out of that team and and then that you know mm. if he was part of a peer group that our son wanted to be part of then probably didn't help him mm. so all of those little things come into play and um and so i think uh yeah they just had to adapt and i think the biggest change i heard someone say this the other day um can't remember who it was but it resonated with me and that was what's the difference between even when I grew up a long time ago or even when you grew up to now kids have so much choice <clears throat> and actually I remember who it was and I will say this it was it was Alastair Clarkson um, who was talking to a group of uh, under 18 footballers and he said one of the problems he, he thinks is that you have too much choice as, as kids um, and as young people when you've got so much choice you might make the wrong decision take you down the wrong path and how do you know which is the right choice you've got to have good people around you you've got to have good mentors you've got to be able to listen to the, to the right people you've got to be able to decipher the right information um, from wherever you're getting that information um, and hopefully you make the right choice and it takes you down a good path. Mm. Um, so and that, that's probably slightly separate from resilience, but that's the difference between, you know, when I grew up and kids now, there's just abundance of choice. Mm. And it's, I think it's hard. It's hard for people to make the right decisions um, unless they surround themselves with good people. Yeah. <clears throat> I think listening to them is... Well, getting kids to actually understand that you know parents might have an idea on what they're talking about like and mm. like listen to them or listen to teachers or listen to you know respectable coaches and, and good mentoring figures because yeah it's it's tough now and, and I think well you know kids have got a million and one options at their fingertips mm. now and like Arlo and Ed are a, a three and one yeah like in 10 years time when all this sort of stuff's going and you see the way of the world now and and it seems like everything's just flipping on its head in some in some spaces and i'm sitting here thinking like how the hell am i going to help my two little ones navigate this in <laughs> 10 years time it's gonna be crazy but i guess it comes down to like i've, I've got a quote written up on my mirror at home right it, it sounds silly but I made, it was kind of like a little pack that I um, 
you know, ended up making with a, a mate of mine that we just, you know, a couple of little things we just wrote up on our mirrors, I guess. Yep. And I've got I've got three things, three things written up. It's got so 2023. So for this year, right? I've got cold showers only. <laughs> yep. I've got read every day. And the last one I've got written down there is lead yourself, lead others, lead always. That's the and I, I picked that that quote up from a guy called um Jason Redman, who's a retired Navy SEAL. I yep. listened to a podcast with him. Absolutely insane story. Like insane story. I, I strongly suggest if you get a yeah, chance, awesome. like yep. hunt him down and and listen to his story. Like ambushed in Afghanistan, I think it was, had literally had half his face blown off like was knocked out on the ground his entire platoon thought he was dead then comes to like you know two minutes later and wake up and it was like his his mates like oh my god i thought like what are you still doing here like i thought you were you were gone and then then in hospital you know mindset shift didn't want the pity party like he's like no stuff it like put my face back together it took him like took the plastic surgeons like three or four goes to actually get his face to a spot where he could function like breathe properly and like it was brutal brutal um but he's he kind of he's in that leadership space now and that that sort of mentoring space now and and i heard that and i'm like man this that's so so true like so true and so those people what i get out of that story is that those people they have to have adapted they've developed unbelievable resilience and then they're the people that help guide others down the right path so when you think about your own kids what i think about this is that try and surround them by by good mentors and good coaches so sport for example i'm always looking at my kids their coaches and 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 try and put them in front of coaches that really wanna, that really passionate about helping kids develop in whatever they're doing. Um, my kids, I don't even know how this happened, but they did, they did some martial arts. They did karate as youngsters when we first moved to Geelong, and their coach was unbelievable. I don't even think she knew how good she was. But my travels and my wife's travels had. had We'd, we'd, we'd go to that karate lesson and just go, she's amazing. And so we kept them doing it and they enjoyed it. And most of the time they enjoy it when someone's really good because someone's actually caring for them, someone's actually coaching them, someone's actually trying to make them better. And when kids get better at things, they enjoy it and then they keep going and they find joy in it and they find success in it. Mm. Um, and I think that helps that helps your kids make the right choices. Mm. Um, so it's about guiding them through that path. The other the benefit that kids have these days is also that accessible to information. So you just said that that podcast. When would have we ever heard that story? Well, podcasts have really on have only boomed over the last sort of sort of five to ten years anyway. Like, so it's at your fingertips. You can get yeah. that story at your fingertips. Mm. And like I was only great. started listening to him over the last couple of years. <clears throat> Exactly, and how many things have we, have you learnt from them? Now, the trouble is trying to decipher the good stuff from from the not so good stuff, mm. and and that's even what the internet is. You know, the internet you can you can look up anything you like, but is it actually 
good information or is it not so good information? Mm. So the worst know. thing is that when you, your people start to kind of filter that and decipher that for their own, yeah, like, correct. and then they go out and jump up on their soapbox and like, oh no, I read this from this website, yeah. blah 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 blah. <laughs> this is this is fact. This is fact. This is fact. And you've got to be able to take that and it's like, well, you know, they said that this was true. I'm like, they've got no idea what they're talking about. Like. <laughs> yeah and being able to kind of decipher all that it's and in the health space that's often hard oh dr google massive i mean you know anyone can just look up they they go to the doctor and then they're told that they've got some ailment and then they they go i'm going to look it up on online and then you know you get clients come in and they catastrophize something because they read something about an ingrown toenail and they're like oh no this is going to be the end of me no no, it's it's not going to be. Mm. So we've got to try and pick and choose the information that we that we use, and and that's why that's that's why I just think stick to your lane a little bit. Mm. So um, it's okay, you know, me as a physio, if I'm going to look up online how to fix my car, um, am I going to try that? Well, if I'm going to try it, expect that it, things might go wrong. Mm. Um, but if I want to make sure that I get my car fixed properly, I'll take them to an appropriate person, mm. a mechanic. I'm not going to take them to, to a basketball coach. Mm. <laughs> it's funny. It seems, that seems to be the case primarily in the health space too. Like if you, oh, yeah. if you go outside of the health space, more often than not, people are kind of happy to stay in their lane. Like you think about all, you know, trades and... Yeah. yeah, like mechanics, sparkies, chippies, like they're all like, yep, cool, this is us. And like site managers coming, oh, I've got a carpenter for this, I've got a plumber for that, I've got an electrician for this, I've got a plasterer for that, tiler for this. Like you put everything, you build a house, you don't go, oh yeah, I'm going to use you for 60% of what needs to be done and I'm going to use you for the other 40 and that's yeah. it. Like yeah. you've got trades on trades on trades on trades who are experts in their field to do what they need Correct. to do. Correct. But in the health space, it's like, you get guys calling themselves like the PT space and fair enough if you've gone back and you've done your time and you've studied and you understand it brilliant yeah but like I never or very very rarely give out nutritional advice because I don't know enough and I'm like nah go see a dietitian go see someone that knows what they're talking about like when people come and talk to me about you know what should I be eating what supplements should I be taking like how should I do this for recovery? I'm like, I give, usually give them three tips. Like, All right, for recovery, eat well, drink well, sleep well. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Like, make yeah. sure you're getting plenty of sleep because that's, that's your body's natural reset button. Put plenty of water in your tank and put plenty of good food in your tank. If you want anything outside of that advice, go find somebody else. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because I'm not, I'm not confident enough to give nutritional advice. Like, Correct. I don't, I wouldn't want to put my name to that too because what if someone who has like a, you know, a, a gastrointestinal condition or you know diabetes or or anything else goes out and oh yeah chris said this and then gets in there starts following that that advice that i just plucked off wikipedia for something and then she hits the fan i'm like oh no what have i done like i couldn't live with myself if that was the case correct correct because you're you're only you only want to help people mm, exactly right not here to try and damage people no well that was the i think what was it it was i think it might have been mike boyle I reckon who's who's in some spaces known as the godfather of strength and conditioning in the states, right? He's got like Mike Boyle's S and C, and there's a lot of well-renowned coaches that have come out of his facility. And I think rule number one of being a PT or an S and C coach, or basically anything in this health space, and probably apply to physiotherapy as well, is do no harm. Correct. 
Like, and you hear it, and people go, ah, duh. Yeah. <laughs> but, like... But you got to live it. Yeah, exactly. And then they go out and try and do a whole bunch of other things, and they end up hurting themselves. Like, what's rule number one? Do no harm. Like, what are you doing? Yeah. Come on. Yeah, but, yeah. Oh. Uh, and that's important. If, if someone, a lot of people ask me, should I use this cream? Should I use that cream? And if it does no harm, go for it. Mm. You know, use it. I, I don't know whether it's going to help you, but if it's not doing you any harm, it's, no, go for it. It's nuts, isn't it? It's crazy. Yeah. Um, the other thing I was going to go back to, you said earlier with your, with your three goals up on your mirror, I think that's another great thing to do for, for kids to help develop resilience. So set there, set some goals. And, and, and we did this with our eldest son with his studies. Um, he, and he was a bit reticent to do it, but we said, put it up on a piece of paper in front of your desk at home and have your goals right in front of you so that you see them every day. And he goes, oh, but I know what my goals are. I want this, this, and this. I said, yeah, but you're just saying that to yourself. If they're up on the wall and then I see them, mum sees them, your brother sees them, everyone else who comes into your room sees them, you're a little bit accountable for that. They're real. And, and they're real. And then you really set your mind to it. And that then helps, I think, develop some resilience as well because each day if you're not quite achieving what you've written up there then you, you're being held to account for that yourself really mm. and um and i reckon that helps you to adapt and then develop resilience so i think that's a really good thing to for kids to put it up and and have it written out so that it's there mm. um, it's tangible um, rather than just something that's in the back of your head or mm. something that you've just told um your mate or your coach or your mum or your dad um, because then it can just get forgotten get swept under the rug pretty comfortably yeah, correct yeah for sure do you reckon that's a like staying on the resiliency theme do you think people nowadays are too I guess resistant to let I'll say their kids go through hardships like do you think hmm. like I kind of think about this now and like my mindset well I guess it's always been pretty consistent and like I've obviously starting to live it a little bit more now that you know Arlo's growing up and, and Ed is growing up and like you see you see them fall over and scrape a knee right yeah first instinct is like oh my god are you okay yeah. and like they look up and they see you freaking out so they start freaking out and like something must be wrong and then I don't know how to regulate my emotions so they start crying and then you're like oh no come here come here, come here. <laughs> whereas like that's, but that's 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 happened like that forever and a day. Mm. I, I know. I, I think I know where you're going with this. And one thing I would turn and say, I agree. We're trying to protect. We're trying to protect everyone all the time. And even goes back to the state stage where you know we used to have monkey bars out in playgrounds and then kids would fall off monkey bars break their arms and then we're like oh god they're no good we've got to now everyone's gonna every we're all gonna fall we're all gonna make mistakes because we're, we're all human and you know touch wood no one has a catastrophic injury from falling from mon monkey bars but we're gonna break a few arms or we're gonna go out and climb trees and we're gonna fall out of a tree um but we shouldn't stop kids from doing from exposing them to all of those movement patterns mm. um, because they help kids develop um, their physical competencies mm. 
and and instead of trying to you know remove harm um so i look i totally agree with do no harm as a as a, you know uh, health ethics if you want uh, want to say it like that but we've we can't sort of mollycoddle our kids we've got to let them go out and experience things mm. um otherwise yeah otherwise they won't develop any resilience they won't develop any physical competencies um they won't develop movement patterns and i, I remember there's this amazing group in the u.s um and he won't mind me saying older coach Vern gambetta who mm. is mm-hmm. he's just yep. he's a legend he's 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 the epitome of of a coach because everything's about the athlete and getting them better it's not about Vern, um and he's done his job so well um that he's got a reputation not because he wants to get a reputation because he's doing his job and um he has this program and everyone goes to his program for a week called it's called gain and it's fantastic and all these pe you know physical educators are there and some of the programs they're doing for kids in exposing them to all these different movement patterns it's just unreal and it's a little bit it's it's going back to the 70s and 80s and i think we've we've lost a bit of that in our physical education at schools because Mm. we're trying to protect kids a little bit too Mm. much Mm -hmm. and not expose them and and parents oh we don't want to do that we don't want to do this even at little athletics here in geelong you know i think the kids aren't allowed to climb the trees around the track anymore because they might fall out and break their arm so there's you know everyone's walking around going no you're not get out of the tree kid get out of the tree um yeah i i I would let them go look if your child is is a bit clumsy obviously go with them and make sure they don't fall out and hit their head Mm. we want to make sure that sort of stuff doesn't happen but we've still got to expose them to to certain things for Mm. for experience it's funny like you know and and obviously with your first kid it's just sort of natural instinct like you kind of go and and get a little jumpy every time they do it and I feel like Steph and I have been all right with Arlo. Like we've kind of, we were probably like a little bit like that at the start, but now we're just like, oh, yeah, cool, mate. You, you do you. And then you'll like bump his knee or bump his head and you'll yeah, get the tears going. It's like, oh yeah, give it a rub, mate. Come here. Yeah. Pat on the back. All right, off you go. So funny story. We were out the, Steph told me about this the other day. Like, so Steph and Arlo and Edda were out middle of the day. I was at work and um, just like we're aggregate, like exposed aggregate driveway so pretty rough yeah and like Arlo's out there and doing his thing and helping shovel dirt and that kind of thing and it has just oh, been an absolute menace like just gone one so she's running everywhere like playing in water and just being an absolute grub which is cool which is great great yeah anyway we um Steph said oh yeah I jumped them both in the bath at the at the end of the night whipped off Edda's pants and both of her knees were just like scraped up and bloodied and like just bashed to pieces didn't hear a peep from her throughout the day like wouldn't know so she's 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 just as Dad said she's a little wrecking ball like she was just and Arlo beats the crap out of her but we're like oh yeah cool mate just don't hit her in the head that's fine but apart from that go ham yeah like do no harm yeah do no harm exactly don't be stupid but have some fun with it like and she but, might get a little bit hurt, a little bit banged up, a little bit scraped, but you're not actually harming her. Yeah, exactly, exactly. If anything, you, you're developing that resilience. Spot on. Right? Spot on. But it, it comes down to the emotional state too. Like, 
people are quick and you see it with parents all the time like working in a school um you see it with and you probably see it dealing with junior athletes as well like parents are so quick to fly in and whip their kids out of any situation or any scenario that is going to be tough like we want them to do this that's going to be hard oh, I better not do that let's go put them in something else where they're going to get exactly what they want immediately they don't have to work for it they don't have to show any grit they don't have to show any determination if they do or they don't or they fail or they get cut or they make mistakes and they, they're bummed out and it's like well that's clearly not for you let's whip them out it just does my head in it's and unfortunately like, that's not going to breed success for the child is it it's their, not their pathway it doesn't look fantastic no it's going to breed it's going to breed weak entitled little brats absolutely can do yeah and you see it and we're just like oh i see it and i'm like I, I i told steph i'm like if i ever look like i'm going to go down that line with either arlo yeah. or edda smack me in the face and tell me what i'm doing because yeah. Yeah. i don't think i would anyway i'm not wired that way but oh it just does my head in like protect your kids from from harmful things and if that includes you know a coach that that is 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 verbally abusive or physically abusive or whatever protect them from that but a coach that actually gives feedback let them experience that mm. you know and you may not necessarily agree with the feedback um maybe your child may not necessarily agree with it but actually let them be exposed to it mm. and, and see what comes of it um and it, you know if it, if it's being harmful to them then intervene yeah, then you can intervene for sure but but don't um but don't go about it in in the in the wrong way still let them ex be exposed to it because like you just said you know if they if if they're hard workers if they're if they're focused if they're coachable um and they're in a good environment that's going to lead to success mm. but if 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 the kid's not coachable if the kid can't take feedback they're not going to move on no they're not going to be successful at senior level because at senior level in sport they're going to get some feedback mm. there's no doubt about that and if they can't take it well they won't survive mm. so it's it's so relevant i guess well and from all of your experiences in pro sport at the highest level like what do where do you see the i guess what is the the recipe for success like you've you've seen some incredibly successful and worked with some incredibly successful athletes and coaches and organizations yeah what's the common what's the common thread now the, i think there's a couple of things we touched on it earlier that everyone's focused everyone's focused on doing their job um everyone's genuine uh they are in an environment that's comfortable so that they can be themselves and not try and be someone that they're not um they're they're probably people have to be driven i think the other thing i always talk about this i'll probably call it my someone else would have said this it's not my invention but like a 90 percent principle and that is do all the simple things which probably amount up to 90 percent of of the equation of of their sport do all of those simple things really well and you'll get 90 out of 100. don't focus on the one percenters until you've got 90. if you're at, at 70 and you've done you know 
70% of all the simple stuff um, and you're only at 70 and then you start doing the 10 one percenters, you're only going to get to 80%, which is not going to be good enough. Mm. Whereas if you do all the simple things and do the simple things well and get to 90, and then you can start adding your one percenters. And so I think in junior sport, don't junior sport is exactly that it's junior sport it's not senior sport you're not trying to replicate what they're doing in in the afl or in the nba with kids you're actually trying to focus on the, on the simple things getting the simple things right um, and making sure that the kids understand that and do them really well and then by the time they get into sort of this this um this area in between junior and senior sport then start adding the little sort of one percenters or start exposing them to all the different recovery modes so that they work out what's right for them. Uh, one thing I learned really early on was that you can't treat everyone the same. And I used to do this, you know, I used to do, I remember it with England rugby, we used to, you know, in sevens, you'd play three games in a day and then three games the next day. So recovery was absolute paramount. If we got recovery wrong, then performance would drop. And so I would lump everyone into the same recovery modalities, and might have. And back in those days, you know, ice baths became quite fashionable, and so everyone in an ice bath. And some boys used to get out and say, oh, "I feel worse after an ice bath." No, and I'm thinking, "No, you don't." Um, you know, everyone does ice baths, and and then it took one one player to say to me, "Can I just not do it?" And, and at that point, I'm like, oh, God, no, this is going to get difficult because if I let you not do it, then so-and-so is also going to say, oh, can I not do it? And then suddenly no one wants to do it. And here I am thinking they're good for you. My job really should have was to find out and, and work with the athlete and for the athlete to say, yes, I feel good from this. Because if they did feel good from that and I work with them on that, they'll do the ice baths. If they felt worse, and we and and so then we say right, don't do it, and they feel better for doing it, and their performance is good, fantastic. They've found what works for them, and and so we've got to apply this individually to, to every athlete, which is damn hard. And certainly mm. in a team sport, say at an AFL level, you've got forty five players on the list. To try and find to work with each and every individual is pretty difficult. But we still got to strive for that, and the same at school. Mm. Um, although school's a bit different because junior sport, as I say, do the simple stuff, do the simple stuff really well, and that's easy. Lump everyone into mm. that because um, they don't know what works for them. Correct, just anyway, because they haven't experienced it. Correct, mm. and and we've just got to teach them the simple principles of whatever sport or movement that you that you're doing. So do that, do that well, do the simple stuff well. Be really focused and hardworking, but be be yourself and be authentic. Um, and most of the time, when and stick to what you know. So let the athletes be the athletes. Let the doc be the doc. Um, let the fitness coach do the fitness. Um, let everyone do their work and respect each other. Give everyone the autonomy to do it, and then it works like a well-oiled machine. Mm. Um, what um. What advice have you got for parents in that space then? I guess because they, in some of and in some instances, they're probably I won't say helicopter parents, but mm. they want to make sure that they've you know, as you do for your kids, you want to make sure they're in the best the best spot around the best people. Like, you know, is there an element of 
just not necessarily stay in your lane but it's like it's okay we've we've got it like you don't have to be a part of this or yeah i, I suppose as parents you got to find a position where you can trust where you can trust the people that are looking after your kids um if as soon as you've you've done that and you trust them um then your job is to sit back and let that person do their job and if you if your child's not improving then then start asking questions and reassess the situation but because the whole aim is for kids to improve isn't it Mm. they just well i suppose for everyone it's we've got to just continually try and get better well you'd hope you you would like to think that the main aim of the majority of junior sport organizations is that yeah 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 we've 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 encountered some that aren't necessarily like that but you would hope that that is the goal yeah so i suppose trust for parents which is which is tough it's not an easy thing to do but trust the people so therefore do your homework if you've done your homework and then you then you go you know what yeah this person is trustworthy they've done really good with these people and i've seen it work for them put your child in that situation and then and then trust them and let it let it happen if if you pull them out at the first hurdle because suddenly you know little johnny comes home because they're crying because the coach gave them some feedback well you're not doing your child any any favors whatsoever um then they don't develop resilience and so then it goes back to all the other things that we've been talking about Mm. so i reckon trust is a is a really big one but do your homework first make sure that you put them in the right environment Mm. from a um a physical loading standpoint i know junior junior sport tends to be very very intense in that that space and and you know, i've probably got the main experience with basketball and it feels like that that associations want every single part of that athlete especially if they're they're decent if they can play so you're looking at like you know rep staff domestic staff state programs you know senior programs like school programs like there's five just off the top of my my head where you're looking at probably two to three sessions per each per week and i sat down with a bunch of kids at school that are in year nine and year 10 and had a look at what they were doing over the week (laughs) and you're looking at 10 11 12 13 14 15 on court sessions on court sessions and a handful of those are like oh yeah and i you know play footy as well so there's because you don't want to take that away because that's a release it's different it's fun it's with their mates and so then you get one or two trainings and a footy game in there as well and and, oh yeah i like to do you know dabble in crossfit too i'm like oh my god so i reckon this this leads into the path of what i didn't mention is what where do parents fit into all of this parent your job as a parent make sure your kid's enjoying it as well enjoyment is number one why did we all take up whatever sport we're involved in because we love it because it's fun and so you've got to maintain that don't make your kid become a professional um in at the age of 14 15 um they've still got to enjoy it uh, otherwise and and Vern talks talks about Vern Gameta talks about if you introduce a child to one sport at the age of 13 and then by the time they get to 27 they've been doing just one sport for 14 years straight their movement patterns are in this really narrow channel and then a 27 year old gets all these injuries and we often go oh why are they injured oh that's because they're getting old 
Oh, give me a break. A 27-year-old? We're talking about 27-year-olds getting old in certain sports? No, that's not the case. They're not, they're not old. They're still fit, young, healthy people. Mm. Vern talks about press the reset button, and I loved this. And, and the reset button for me would be a basketballer, 27, has been playing for 14 years. That's all they've done, and, you, and they're getting so many injuries, and you go, right, let's press the reset button. What sort of sports did you do when you were 10? Oh, I used to swim a lot. I used to actually skateboard a lot. I used to do some trampolining, um, play a bit of footy or whatever. All right, were you good at any of them? Oh, yeah, some of them I was good at. Some of them I might not have been. Which ones did you love? Choose one that they either love or one that they were good at, and suddenly their movement patterns are exposed to this wide sort of, um, uh, you know, they've got, what do we call it, um, muscle memory. They got This muscle memory comes back from 14 years ago of some movement, and then suddenly their bottom, their, their body is reset, and then they they recover from these injuries. So make sure that the sport is really fun, um, and continues to be fun. If they're not enjoying it, find out why they're not enjoying it. So that's one of the the, the parents' jobs. Um, oh, I've lost track of thought. Where else were we going with that then? I'm also in terms of the physical loading side. Yeah, of things, physical loading. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh wow, we see a ton of that. So when I think, when I see certainly kids in the clinic or at school, the other thing you've got to consider is their physical maturity, and and this is the thing that I think we're probably not catering for that well in some areas we we are, but you get kids who mature really quickly and they can cope with a little bit more and then sometimes they advance quicker than the others in the sporting arena as well and then we focus on them and then sometimes we forget about the kids who haven't matured and then suddenly you know at say basketball for example suddenly at 18 19 um, you see a kid who's now six foot six and like oh my god Mm. where did you come from well they grew at 18 Oh, oh like yeah, that. but at 14, you were only a tiny little tot and we didn't think you were going to be any good, so we didn't give you any t- You can't do that. You mm. can't not give them attention. You've got to treat everyone the same as when they're young, put all the physical development into them. But if they're not physically mature, just back off a little bit um, because you, you might break them, you might get them injured. And then if they're injured, the simple thing is that they're not being able to practice um, which means they can't get better, which means they get left behind again. Mm. So you've got to cater for their physical maturity as well. Mm. Um, that's a hard thing to do um, and a hard thing to recognise, but <clears throat> work with people around you and, and, and work with the parents and ask them you know, about where they think the child is in their, in their maturation process. It's so funny, like there's just the common themes throughout everything we've spoken about is always it's it seems like it's always come back down to communication like being able to get to know people and understand people oh, and yeah. get to know your athletes and get to know your parents and parents get to know the coaches and and ask questions about things and like so many people are quick to just jump the gun i think and just assume that they know everything and it's like well it's not quite the case why don't like go out and go out and invest in learning and and talk to people that are smarter than you and know more than you and talk to the coaches and talk to the kids and talk to the athletes and because that's why we said i said earlier be authentic be be you because if you are being you 
and and then if I'm being authentic, you're going to get to know who I am. Mm. If you're being authentic, I'm going to get to know who you are. As soon as we know who each other is, our relationship's going to be so much better and so much easier. Mm. And whether that's as a coach and athlete or, or, or between a coach and a medic or between a medic and a strength and conditioning, it's, it does. It comes down to communication and getting to know one another. Mm. Um, we're, like we said earlier, we're all we're human beings. We're social beings. We we thrive in being together. Even individual athletes, even sprinters, you know, they're not working on their own. Mm. They've got coaches. They've got strength and conditioning people. So they still have to work with people. Mm. Um, it was almost like a key a key moment of you know your development in your career too was that moment with those athletes in the ice bath like you thought that this was the way to go yeah bang everyone in ice bath recovery perfect this is the way to do it and he's like i don't perform well after that yeah 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 mate you just don't want to get in the ice bath like i know what i'm doing and then but but you you spoke with him you talked to him you got to know him and you watch him go out and tear it up it's like all right cool that doesn't work for you and that's that there has almost just shifted your entire way of yeah. thinking about your yeah. job. Like, I'd love to share. I'll tell you one other story because I love this story. Um, we, I was in Hong Kong at the Rugby Sevens with the England team. We had this amazing player. Uh, I mentioned it, Henry Paul, and he'd played rugby league for New Zealand. He'd then been naturalised in the UK, so then he played for England in rugby union. And he was so good. He was a great player. Um, and he was very laid back. He might have been cultural Kiwi, you know, just really laid back. And and I'm standing there after a game and I'm thinking, he's not doing what I'm asking him to do. I'm saying, right, like, come on, guys, let's do an active warm, up, warm down. Let's do a bit of stretching. And he wasn't doing it. And, and the coach could sense that I was getting a bit antsy. And he said, what's wrong? I said, ah, oh, Henry. He goes, what do you mean, Henry? I said, he's not doing what I'm asking him to do. He says, how important is it? And I was a bit like, well, hang on. It's really important. This is what you employ me to do. I'm trying to help these guys recover and, you know, surely I'm doing what I think is right. And he goes, yeah, but is it really important? And I said, hang on, what do you mean is it really important? Is it going to make him better? It's just shot down your entire profession and your entire (laughs) role and your entire identity. (laughs) And he he goes, if he doesn't do it, what's going to happen? Well, I'm going to be pissed off. He's not doing it. He's not doing what... And then maybe that infiltrates down to the younger boys and the younger boys don't think they have to do it. And then, then we've got anarchy. And um, he said, Mike, will it make him better? And, I, and he goes, no, 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 just listen. Will it make him better? And I just suddenly, the penny just dropped. I'm like, oh my God, this is about treating him as an individual and, and it's then about communicating with him. And I'd go and communicate with him and, and, and you know speak to him about it. And he might just fob me off and just go, piss off, Mike, I'm not doing that. And, and I thought about it and he goes, will it make him better? And I went, no, probably won't. Henry's his own person. He'll do what Henry wants to do. He was more experienced. He'd been around. He knew what was right for him and what, what worked for him. And was he performing? Yeah, hell yeah, he was performing. And, um, and I laid back off him a lot. And, and actually, I got to know him a little bit more um, during the next couple of weeks. And we got on really well because he could probably see that I'm giving him a little bit of leeway. I'm understanding who he is. 
and it's all about understanding people and, and working with them and then what happens their performance improves he may not have been doing all the things that i've been taught that help make athletes better but if i made him do all of those things he wouldn't have got better mm. no doubt because he just wasn't wired like that he probably wouldn't have enjoyed his time there either and he would have started hating it yeah and then he loses the enjoyment and then you know what he's probably then going to go i'm not doing this mm. i'm going to give up and we don't want to see that. We don't want to see that with, with kids or, or any athlete, do we? Mm, not so, at all. Um, a um, couple, more, couple more questions <coughs> I want to put to you. Um, in a rehab space, what sets those apart that come back in better shape off long-term injury, take, you know, backs, ACLs, yeah. you know, big, big ones, um, from those that never quite get their mojo back uh i'll go back to the same things again um the ones who come back are really focused and they're coachable and and they and when i say coachable from all aspects coachable from from the physio who might be giving some rehab from the strength conditioning who are giving rehab from the coach who's who's trying to help them get back onto the track they're listening they're trusting and they're really really focused on doing the right job um the guys who sort of go about it going oh well i'll get better oh you know they don't um trust the people that are around you trust if they know what they're doing definitely put all your trust in them and then be really focused in what you're doing and 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 also you know if they say back off back off um because some of the athletes who are super focused they just want to do more if mike tells me to do 10 i'm going to do 100. um no trust the process um if they tell you to do 100 do 100 if they tell you to do 10 do 10 but also work with them and communicate because I don't know, as a physio, I don't know exactly how you're feeling. You've got to, I've got to ask you the question. You've got to be really honest with me and tell me how you're feeling. And then mm. we work together mm. to work that out. If you're completely cooked and I've got a really tough session planned for you and I didn't know that you're cooked for whatever reason, might be a mental thing, it might be physical, it might be emotional, who knows, then... Uh, We've got to work together and know. So, and that's part of being coachable and focused. Mm. I reckon they're the they're the keys. They're the keys to success in, as an athlete, anyway. Mm. What do you think holds more weight, the physical or mental aspect of oh, uh, wow. of performance? Big question. I've never been asked that. I've never it just popped into my head too. I was like, this is this is yeah. Be a good I, I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say mental. I, tell you why I say that in the last few years even in doing doing rehab just even with non-athletes the brain controls the body if you can learn to control your brain you can learn to control your body and so I think to some degree it's what goes on upstairs is is the most important thing Um, it's it's a bit like I always say, like with say a knee rehab, even in in ACL. You know, after following an ACL surgery, um, you know you lose a lot of muscle mass, and and you you lose the the neural pathway being 
you know, lots of traffic going down that neural pathway down to that ACL reconstructed leg. And there's no traffic on that pathway for, for four months or so while, while you're recovering. There is a little bit. How do you change that? You change that by being mentally focused so that you're actually thinking about what you're doing. Um, if you're thinking about what you're doing, if you're thinking about contracting that muscle, you'll get an extra 10, 20% contraction out of that muscle, um, which will make a difference to how that functions, which then hopefully makes a difference to the support that your knee's getting and stuff like that. So mm. in, in a lot of ways, I'm always, to my clients and, and to the athletes, I'm always pointing to their head all the time and saying, it all starts here. You've got you to think about what you're doing. And it's like being in the gym. If, you, if you're just going to go through the motion in your gym program and not think about why you're doing that certain exercise, you're probably missing out on 10% of, of the benefit of doing the exercise. Mm. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump with mental. I think I'd be, I'd be inclined to say the same thing. Mm. Like throughout my own rehab stuff, it was always... Yeah, think about how this is moving. Think about this, and it's real. Your, your deep sort of intrinsic stabilizers as well, where it starts. Where you've got to think about moving them because yeah. you know, it's not normal. Yeah. So you're yeah. Like, oh, well, shit. What am I actually trying to trying to work here? And you kind of your brain's going a million miles an hour, actually trying to find the right muscle group to try and work. Like, yeah. Yep. But even just outside of the rehab space and outside of you know that that mind body connection. You know how you come across athletes that people say, oh, you've either, they've either got it or they don't. And you see people that, that don't make it and it's like, well, I just didn't have it. And it's like, well, the it isn't necessarily the physical side of yeah. things. Like you see these supreme athletes yeah. <laughs> that yes. just don't make it because they don't have the headspace for it. They don't have the mindset for it. Like they don't, they're not willing to sacrifice what they need to sacrifice or put in the work or do the, yeah. Yeah. you know, take care of the 90% before you start working on the 10%. Like just mentally they don't have it that's exactly right i'm not gonna mention any names but i've worked with one or two athletes who are the most talented athletes i've ever seen like they could do anything and but were they household names no they're not household names because because some part they just didn't have it they weren't focused enough or they didn't they just didn't have that little extra edge um, whereas the you know the the LeBrons and the Giannis's and AFL, uh, I don't know. Think of think of the most talented people that you can think of. Um, they've got to still have that mental edge mm. um, and the mental desire and the right attitude and the right focus for them for their physical attributes to then shine. Um, there's a couple of basketballers who I'd put them up as equal in talent to to LeBron or Kobe or dare I say it even Michael Jordan but they just didn't have the mentality to be able to you know uh, fulfil their potential Mm. which is a bit of an ugly word isn't it Um, well you see like take the NBA for example you've got you know four five hundred players on rosters across NBA D-League realistically it's just putting a ball in a hole <laughs> yeah. like like you can you can do that but the mental aspect of working on your skills on your skill set day after day after day after day like anyone's talks of yeah jordan kobe lebron like any of these these perennial greats yeah 
it's always it's never the skill set that they talk about it's it's the mindset it's the approach to the game like with with jordan you know his oh just tenacity and he'd be at his teammates he'd be at his opponent he'd be, he'd be the ultimate competitor yeah, right? and then yeah. everyone here tweets about Kobe's work ethic like just yeah, the mindset design. that he had yeah. to put in two, three, four, five hour workouts <laughs> yeah. post game like just mentally he's just built different that's what they yeah. mean though they're built different they're not built different physically yeah because when you get to that level like 95% of them are the same yeah exactly. sure you got some that are 6'3 and some that are 7'3 but everyone can, can hold their own on a basketball court so you but, do all yeah. the physical tests and they're all fairly, fairly equal. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah, but the the mental aspect of it is what separates the good from the, 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 good from the great from the yep. legends correct, of the game. Correct, correct. I know you, you had uh, a recent guest and you're talking about Delhi, um, Matthew Delavadova. Now Delhi, I'm sure he wouldn't mind me saying, he's, he's not as skillful as Kobe or LeBron or Giannis, um, but was he successful? Oh, hell yeah, he was successful because he worked his backside off. His desire was ridiculous. Um, his attention to detail was second to none. Um, his focus, he, he was amazing, his work ethic. Um, so he's, he's mentally, he was so good. He was so tough, so sharp, so focused, um, and it got him to play at the highest level and be successful at the highest level. Um, mm which is so good to see. They're the things, they're the ones that you really love to see. We all love to see the supreme athletes succeed as well. But what's the common thread in, in all of them? All of them who succeed, whether they be physical specimens and unbelievable talents, or not so talented but still successful, they're just desire. They're focused on, on, on doing everything right. Um, they work hard. Everyone who's successful in the, in the world works hard. I don't know too many people that are successful just because they just landed on their backside. Mm. It, it doesn't really happen. No, not at all. We sometimes wish it would. Oh, as a kid, God, you, you dream about it and you think, oh, I wish I could just... You know. That's what Tats lot is a thing, mate. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's not fulfilled. Well, well, it'd be nice, wouldn't it? Depends it? on what side of the draw you're on, I guess. <laughs> manage to strike that one in 4.4 million dollar chance or whatever it is but um mate we'll leave it there i had a i had another question about the the most um i guess the most diligent and you know but the i won't say best because there's a lot of different lenses you can look at that through but in terms of the the athlete that you were most impressed by the way they went about their business um i was going to ask that but i've got a feeling you may have just answered it anyway was Delhi was Delhi up there or do you have competition? De- no, Del- Delhi's up there. Yeah. Delhi's up there for and different reasons. To Giannis is up there. Um, Can you give a bit of insight into Giannis? Because I feel like a lot of, especially if we get a lot of you know kids at school listening to this, they're always like he's he's a bit of a poster boy for him. Like, what makes what separates him? You know what? He's fun. He's very funny. Yeah. Um, right. When when he when it's time to to just enjoy yourself he enjoys himself um i will go back to he's really authentic he's 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 real um he as we all know from his story you know from his his film and and i've listened to someone um there's a book about him that someone's someone's written and well there's probably a number of books He, he he's real he he came from real hardship 
um, and he, he never forgets where he comes from. And um, he's really authentic. He's, he's, he's fun. When it's time to, to have fun, he, he'll have fun. When it's time to switch on, man, you, you switch on and, and you do the work. Um, yeah, he was, he, was, he was awesome to work with. But he, no different to, you know, I'll, I'll say a few. Joel Selwood, amazing. I mean, the guy achieved probably more than he ever expected to achieve. Um, but why? Because he worked his backside off. Um, all the people who are successful work their backside off. And it was great. To, I, did, I didn't end up doing a lot with, with Joel, really. Um, but I watched him. And, um, uh, yeah, all the good... I'm trying to think um, back to the days of, of, of rugby. Um, and I was only young. You know, I was involved with England when they won the World Cup. I did their training camp back in 2003. And that whole group was focused. My God, that whole group was focused. Um, from the captain, Martin Johnson, who I ended up working with. He was, he was a coach of England rugby when I worked there. Um, he demanded uh, expertise. He demanded work ethic. But that also came from top down, from Clive Woodward, um, who demanded authenticity, focus, hard work, all in that he had this thing called the one team um so you know he was a coach that demanded uh success and respect um that's the beauty of sport mate is is you just meet so many great people mm. so and it's hard to to um isolate some um i love the hard workers the grafters that that get there even though they weren't the most talented and they're the stories that you love the most because you got to you got to tell all your kids that you got to keep working because mm. the dream's not over. Um, you know, far out, Giannis wouldn't have even got there um, where he came from. It was, to some degree, a little bit of luck involved in in him achieving what he achieved. Um, sure, he's a physical specimen with with that height and the wingspan, um, but um, yeah, just just keep working because and even at even at 16, 17, 18, there's so many stories of kids who aren't at the top of the tree at that age group and they end up becoming successful mm. athletes or kids who aren't great academically and they still become successful in business. Um, it's all about keep, keep your dream and don't, don't quash your kids' dreams. Let them keep dreaming and keep trying to channel them that way. And if it happens for them, fantastic. Mate, that was that was awesome. I've yeah. got no idea how long we were speaking for, but um, <laughs> it just it just flowed. It was it was beautiful. Thanks yeah. so much for uh, I enjoyed it for for letting me to sort of bail up a, a spare room at your clinic and, yeah. um, and talk shop for the last hour and a bit. It's that was awesome. Great. It's been good. Thanks, mate. Thanks, Nels. Oh! <gasps>